I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to the latest installment of the World Football Index Extra podcast. I'll be your host tonight, Armando Angulo, and I'll be joined by two phenomenal guests. And we'll be taking a really close look at Major League Soccer. Uh, the first of our two insightful guests is uh, Andy Edwards. He covers Sporting Kansas. He he covers Sporting Kansas City, and he's also a contributor to NBC. Uh, but to get a better idea about him, and then to let's hear from the man himself, Andy. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have have you on here. Um, if you want, Andy, give us a little bit of background about yourself and, and let us know, you know, how you fell in love with with soccer and 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 what you what you're currently doing. Well, you know, uh, I think like a lot of people my age, I'm I'm just 27 years old, and uh, you know, I really fell in love with it during the 2002 World Cup. Um, obviously, MLS had been around for a handful of years, but it wasn't quite established. And as somebody who didn't uh, play the sport as a very, very young kid. I'm actually quite tall, and so basketball, I was kind of you know, forced into doing that whole thing from a young age, and so it wasn't really my sport growing up. But the 2002 World Cup, you know, everybody knows the run to the quarterfinals, uh, should have been into the semifinals if not for the handball from Torsten Frings, all of that. You know, that really resonated with me at the time. I believe I was, uh, what I'd have been about 14 years old at the time and so very impressionable at that age and you get behind something and you wake up at three and four in the morning to watch these games when you're otherwise going to be in bed you just really get into it and then I you know I, I I didn't at the time really know that that soccer outside of the World Cup existed and then I discovered MLS discovered the leagues over in Europe and ever since then with it taken off on TV the availability that we have here uh, more so than in, in countries where leagues are based to watch every single game on television. It's really, really great. And so I've always been into broadcasting and, you know, the sports media world. It's always interested me, you know, if I wasn't going to be a player myself in, in whatever sport I chose, why not talk about the sport? Why not, you know, be involved in some way um, and, and, and cover the sport, you know, help educate people uh, about the sport and everything. So, uh, it, it just fit perfectly, and I'm lucky to be able to do what I do uh, every single day. I don't feel like I work a single day uh, for the last three years since I've been working for, for MLSsoccer.com and now NBC Sports. So it, it's a great, great time to be part of, of the soccer community here in the United States. 
Absolutely, man. And and everything you're saying about being impressionable as a youth and all of that is spot on. I, I you know, I feel the same exact way. Uh, also joining us tonight is a very special guest and he's covering the LA Galaxy. He has his own uh, podcast and website as well. And that's Mr. Josh Gessman. Josh, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, Armando. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. And, and give us a little bit of background about yourself, Josh. Let the people know uh, who you are. Well, I feel like I'm a, I'm a real latecomer to all this whenever you talk about people who've been covering the league since 1996. Um, I really didn't get into Major League Soccer until 2007, actually close to the 2007 end of season for the LA Galaxy when I was uh, playing soccer. Granted, I played soccer all the way through high school, um, was never that good at it, uh, was probably a better baseball player, uh, never saw myself really being that interested in soccer, was playing on an under-35 uh, team on Sunday, just a couple of guys running around the field making fools of themselves, and they said, hey, let's go to an L.A. Galaxy game. I said, you guys think that's a great idea? Am I going to get beaten up or something like that? Literally, that was what was in my mind. I, I went to uh, then the Home Depot Center, uh, saw David Beckham play, although certainly not the reason I went to go see the game. Just wanted to see what a soccer game was about. Came home the next day. By the way, the Galaxy lost like 5-3 to three to Houston or something like that. It was, it was 2007, 2008 were not good years for the LA Galaxy. Um, and uh, said that I needed to have season tickets immediately um, and then purchased them in the 2008 season and, and really have, have been uh, a soccer lover, specifically with the LA Galaxy since then. And, uh, you know, as far as the podcast goes and all that fun stuff, it was I, I saw a hole or a need to be filled in, in 2008, 2009, that nobody was specifically covering the L.A. Galaxy or having a podcast specifically about that. And along with my co-hosts, we've sort of uh, built this into something a little bit more than I ever thought it would be. And, uh, you know, we go strong and we, we try to have two shows a week and, and do a good job over at Corner of the Galaxy. So uh, that's it. I love I love soccer. I love all soccer, uh, specifically here in L.A. Uh, for the L.A. Galaxy. It's a, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. And it sounds like we share, you know, that that desire to want to educate people and give a little bit of insight and try to, you know, what we try to do is is make it all the world a little bit closer, everything within reach and, and try to cover a little bit from every part of the globe and try to, you know, give our insight. And so you guys doing this for us is going to help in North American coverage and, and people open people's eyes, you know, now that the UK is getting a little bit more coverage of MLS and, and a lot of, you know, former stars from England and stuff are coming over and things like that, more appeal. And then this is just going to help further that along. So and let's just jump right in here. Josh, staying with you, man, what are your general thoughts on the MLS season this year? It's, it was a, an exciting year. There was some teams that disappointed, uh, some teams that uh, exceeded expectations, some youth uh, coming up and showing, you know, their work. What are your general thoughts and, 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 and sentiments towards the MLS season this year? Well, I, I think it was a great year. If you look at some of the teams that really uh, you know, showed how good they were over the regular season, you look at teams like FC Dallas and the New York Red Bulls. I think uh, whenever you talk about the best team in Major League Soccer this year, I think it would be hard to argue over the regular season it wasn't FC Dallas. Um, you can argue the New York Red Bulls. I understand that argument. But in the Eastern Conference and just sort of the disparity between the two conferences right now, um, you know, it was really fun to watch FC Dallas. Got to see them in person a couple times. Uh, teams like Vancouver in the Western Conference were exciting to watch. Seattle was exciting to watch at times. L.A. was exciting to watch. You had a lot of the big market teams who you thought, especially in the Western Conference, were sort of going to run away with this thing. Um, we're excited to watch. And then you get a final that sort of has two smaller market, although it's hard in MLS circles to call Portland, um, for me, a small market because they always seem to be uh, everywhere and they have such a large presence uh, social media wise and in MLS. But, um, you know, you, you sort of saw some some things happen that maybe you wouldn't have expected as far as teams that should have been 
good down the stretch were not. And I think that's what makes Major League Soccer a little bit exciting, especially this year, is that you saw some of the parody really come to fruition, especially down the stretch uh, in, in the later months. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, players leaving on international duty midseason and then all the travel and things like that. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the parody in the league? What, 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 what is the main cause of that, do you think? Uh, you know, I think that we have a form of parody. I'm not sure it's as as equal as Major League Soccer would like you to believe. Uh, not with the high spenders that you have in, like the LA Galaxy, uh, the New York, uh, I, I should say New York City FC, uh, big spenders there. There there really should be some inequality. And for some reason, uh, this season it played out that way. And it was from smart teams and making some smart acquisitions. Um, you look at Montreal making you know, an excellent acquisition in Drogba and really pulling themselves out of what was a lackluster start, although um, you know, having so many games delayed because of their CCL competition at the beginning of the year, you could sort of understand how they could gain momentum in the second half, although they played a ton of games in the second half. So seeing them advance as far as they did and seeing Drogba sort of ride that out, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun to see. Um, you know, I, I think the parody comes from you know, the travel and from the conferences, quite honestly, um, you know, inside the conferences themselves, I think the teams are very equal. Whenever they go across conferences, I think that's where you sort of lose some of that parity. Um, but, you know, that should fluctuate and ebb and flow as as players transfer between conferences and sort of you, you find out where the powers are in each conference and how that that goes out. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's exciting. The fact that you can have somebody like, you know, a Columbus crew, um, you know, make it all the way to. MLS Cup final and and play against a team in the Portland Timbers who got blown out by LA five to nothing I think in July um, and then somehow caught hot and, and go run through the playoffs playoffs is sort of that great equalizer at the end if you're hot you can you can run the table yeah absolutely and that's you know the way that MLS is structured very North American very American sports you know and 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 that it's the great equalizer the playoffs if you get hot at the right time some injuries get picked up by by the favorites and stuff like that it, it really does even the playing field Andy let's swing it over to you man what are your thoughts on the MLS season a general you know recap of it from your point of view and 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 touching on what Josh said about parody what are your thoughts on that as well man yeah, you know, I'll go ahead and agree with uh, what a, a lot of what Josh said there. I think it was a, a great season for the league, um, you know, PR-wise a, a little bit. The fact that with all due respect to the LA Galaxy and, and the big teams, the teams that spend a ton of money, whether it's Seattle or it was New York City FC coming into the league this year, Orlando as well, it wasn't those teams at the end of the season. And I think it showed that there is uh, there's a ton of quality in the league, and it's not just the teams that go out and spend the big money and bring in the big stars, the stars that everybody across the world knows. You know, the the team like FC Dallas, as Josh said, completely agreed, best team during the regular season. And it's all the the building of Oscar Pereja, building that team up from the academy. So many young players in that team. They're now set up for the next three, four, five, six years. Whereas you look at a team like New York City, they bring in Andre Pirlo. They bring in Frank Lampard, guys that are north of 36, 37 years old, and they can't quite get it done at this point in their career. Uh, I, I think it was it, there was a lot of good to be seen on the field in MLS this year from that perspective. You know, as far as uh, the the quality of the soccer that we've seen that continues to go up every single season, uh, the entertainment value. And I think MLS cup is the, the perfect example of that. Was it the best, uh, played game of soccer? No, it wasn't. The quality wasn't quite there, uh, but it was very, very entertaining. It was two teams that wanted to play the game the right way. And as we get through, you know, the years 
and, and the development of, of young players that are coming through academies, as, as, as that improves, you know, that willingness to try and play the game the right way, it's going to pay off. And to see so many teams across the league right now that want to play the game that way, uh, it's a very, very encouraging sign. Absolutely, man. And with the growing buzz and, and the growing wave of interest and in people, you know, soccer in this country is only going to get better athletes, you know, playing this game as their preferred sport. As long as, you know, this upward swing and momentum carries on. And I think that's going to be very important. So like you guys said, and then two great clubs in, in Columbus and, and Portland went out in the final. Like you guys said, wasn't exactly the neatest game ever played, but it, it was very entertaining. And that's important for the league is, is entertainment. And then, you know, and, and with entertainment comes surprises pleasant surprises and fc dallas i think was one of those and, and and they have a lot of young players and and other than the fc dallas though what what are some of your guys' specific pleasant surprises this season josh let me swing it to you man who really surprised you as a team as a player a, a manager even what what really surprised you this season yeah, I was going to say, you know, Oscar Perea obviously gets the tip of the hat for for doing that. I agree with Andy 100%. Um, one of the big surprises, it was probably a letdown more than anything, is Seattle not winning MLS Cup this year. I thought that they were primed uh, and in perfect position to really make a run. And we talk about momentum going into the playoffs, and when you don't have any of it, um, I think it's I think it's tough. And I also feel like they, they became more flawed as the season went on. Um, and quite honestly, if you look back to Clint Dempsey getting suspended for, I think, three games and Obafemi Martins getting injured in the same game uh, in a U.S. Open Cup match. Um, I, I think that looks at you. You look at that and say, if that stuff doesn't happen, I think you see a different finish in the Western Conference, especially uh, with Seattle having was was playing very well at that time and looked at. It. So my big surprise is Seattle um, sort of falling apart down the stretch. I think you could say the same thing with the LA Galaxy, although not as surprising with the players that they tried to bring in midseason, um, you know, not gelling. And I think New York City, I, I don't think you can ever expect an, an expansion team to do very well. I mean, the Seattle Sounders, I think, sort of set that bar pretty high as far as what to expect from an expansion team. Um, but still, I didn't expect New York City to struggle as much as they did, although I don't feel that organization was 100% with it whenever it started. So, you know, as far as those surprises, um, you know, bad surprises in the league, those were sort of mine. My, my good surprise was Greg Berhalter, a former LA Galaxy player, I should point out, uh, coaching the Columbus crew to an MLS Cup final. Uh, love Greg, love what he did with Columbus. They, he really understands, I, I think, how to play the game. And I think maybe in the future, Greg Berhalter is going to be one of those coaches that, you know, is, is sort of one of the rising stars in Major League Soccer and probably will will earn a coaching job above his Columbus station right now. So uh, those are sort of my fun surprises that I, that I think uh, were, were good. And, you know, there's some bad ones in there, too. And I think that's what makes Major League Soccer completely unpredictable. If you're betting on Major League Soccer, uh, I don't think you can make a living off that that's for sure Andy how about you man what caught you off guard this season and kind of opened your eyes and surprised you a little bit uh look I think the thing that caught more people off guard completely off guard by the end of the season uh was the team that won the supporter shield the New York Red Bulls and the turmoil that they came into 2015 with the fact that they fired Mike Petke uh, after the end of the 2014 season, he'd won the Supporter Shield just 12 months prior, and he had all the support of the players and the fans, and he's a club legend as a player, and, and we're looking at that situation as this guy might be here for five, eight, ten years, the way that his, his coaching career has begun and his status within the club, and then completely unexpectedly, he just gets fired outright 
they bring in Ali Curtis, who, who is now the new uh, you know, sporting director, the guy in, in charge of everything, and, and brings in Jesse Marsh, who I, I think is a very, very good coach, and he proved that uh, during Montreal's expansion season just a few years ago. He got a very, very, uh, you know, he got the short end of the stick there in that situation. And for him to come into this team, new coach, Thierry Henry gone, Tim Cahill gone, no real stars for the first time, uh, since the designated player rule came into the league, and they were the best team, you know, on paper uh, over the course of 34 games during the regular season. Of course, they only edged out FC Dallas on goal differential. Uh, but the fact that he was able to come in and from day one, uh, they might have been the most consistent team all season long. Uh, you know, so so little space in between their ceiling and their floor. Uh, it was always quality performances every single week. And if you just looked at the situation, the fans. The town hall meeting that they had with Jesse Marsh and Ali Curtis and Luis Robles sitting on stage and fans yelling expletives at these guys, you know, what the heck is going on here? Why is this happening? And Jesse Marsh just brushed it all aside, got to work and took that team to their second major trophy in 20 years. I think that has to go down uh, as the biggest surprise for 2015. And it's got to be a a huge source uh, of optimism going forward for Red Bull fans as well. I would have to agree, especially with New York City FC coming in this season. I think there was a little bit of added pressure for the Red Bull to, you know, dominate that market and, and make their and, and for Marsh to make his his imprint there, and then he did that, and, and that's you know a phenomenal story, and that's a great surprise. Absolutely, you got any disappointments for us, Andy? Uh, New York City FC, the team you just mentioned there. You know, they come into the league, and you know they're they're Man City Junior, Man City B team, whatever you want to call them. And they've got all this money, and they're going to bring in these stars, and they're going to sell. You know, they they average over thirty thousand uh, fans at, at the games. I think o- over the course of the regular season, and they just don't they just don't have it on the field. It, it, I think it exposed a lot of you know the the wider opinions of Major League Soccer around the world. That oh, you know these these older guys go there, they get their one last paycheck. And because the quality of of the soccer is is so poor, they go in there, they go there, and they just dominate from day one. And, and it's easy for them, you know. We we learned, and, and New York City is probably the the best example of this. That's not the case anymore, you know. These older guys, and, and we talked about them a little bit already, coming over here, they've got to really show up every single day in training, every single weekend uh, at at the stadium. And they've got to perform at their very best. Otherwise, they're going to be completely off the pace of this league now. And, you know, as I said earlier, that's a hugely encouraging sign. So hopefully, you know, I'm hopeful that Patrick Vieira being the new guy there, um, having a little bit more control probably over some of the guys that he brings in, maybe some of his players uh, that he wants to see in that team, he will fare better than Jason Christ did. I think Jason Christ was was set up to fail from day one the way that, that, that Manchester City was always going to impose their will and, and some of the guys that they wanted on that team. Uh, but, you know, it can only get better for them. You know, it can't be much, much worse than 2015 was. Yeah, man, I agree with that. I think Patrick Vieira is going to be a, a solid manager for them and he's going to really make an impression there and, and get them the ship steered in the right direction like you said it's hard to compete when when you saw what man city was doing and keeping lampard for extended period of time and not being too sure and everybody you know every new york city fc fan being left in the dark and being kind of disappointed by that but josh let me swing it over to you what are your disappointments man i'm sure the galaxy's fizzle at the end of the year is going to be on this list 
Yeah, I, I think it has to be top for me, obviously, being an LA Galaxy podcast and getting to watch the meltdown in person. In fact, I, I admittedly did a show in probably near the end of July, early August, where I may have claimed, actually, it was a little bit later because because uh, Giovanni Dos Santos had just came, but I we did a show uh, asking the question if this was the best LA Galaxy team ever assembled. They had dismantled uh, a couple of opponents in a row. Granted, you look back and, and look at some of those opponents like New York City FC, and, and maybe it wasn't that great of a deal um but you know you look at just how the team and we talk about chemistry and you look at the two mls cup finalists and and how much uh those teams had chemistry and you look at you know montreal with with drogba and how much they had chemistry and you look at the teams that struggled to find that chemistry and you can really see where the shortcomings are steven gerrard obviously coming over to the la galaxy in the middle of the season giovanni dos santos being added to that and and watching the chemistry and the the this sort of um you know, mixing of the of the styles and and Bruce Arena trying to fix things over the over the course of the second half of the season was was painful to watch. And I think that if you look at big name talent and what you can do with it, you have to be very careful about how you do it. I don't for one second think that Stephen Gerrard coming over was a bad signing, both PR wise and uh, and on the field. But I do think that it was it it's going to take a little bit longer than six months or even less than six months to get Stephen Gerrard uh, comfortable in that L.A. Galaxy offense. And, you know, maybe his body isn't up to it. And you look at some of the older guys in this league. Um, some of the guys can do it. Robbie Keane has shown uh, again and again that he can he can be there and, and be present, granted a little bit younger than uh, Steven Gerrard. But still, it, it, it's those types of things and, and the gelling and watching the big name talent people, teams like Toronto trying to get all of their stars on the same page, getting Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley and the eventual MLS MVP, uh, Gio, uh, Giovinco, all on the same page and, and really working and working for that team and being uh, you know, a good, solid soccer team. It's about the team whenever it comes down to. You may have a bunch of talented individuals, but for the LA Galaxy this year, a uh, big disappointment. But again, Seattle for me was was a huge disappointment. Knowing that LA Galaxy fans hate Seattle, I understand that. Um, I thought for sure Seattle would take the Western Conference. And you look at FC Dallas and the Vancouver Whitecaps and what they were able to do over the course of the season in the Western Conference. Um, you know, you have, sort of have to tip your hat to those guys. Yeah, and, and FC Dallas is really doing it with some young talent. And I want to talk about some young players and players that have impressed you. Josh, let's stick with you, man. What, who are some of the young names that have really stood out to you this season that really popped out? And then, and you're looking forward to seeing what they can build upon this season and looking forward into next season. Well, I'll start one. Obviously, I'll finish with an LA Galaxy player because I, I get to watch so much of that that I feel like that's my best insight into players to watch. But um, watching Poku for uh, New York City FC, watching him develop into a player, um, I don't think anybody thought that Poku was going to be really a, a huge star whenever he played for New York City FC. And, and granted, I had never heard the name before he started playing, but watching him sort of be able to be that smart player that was able to link up with smarter players. I mean, that's what you're looking for. That's one of the reasons that uh, you look at, at players like, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think, even uh, Giassi Zardes whenever he played for the LA Galaxy and getting on the end of passes from Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan. Granted, uh, Giassi Zardes may not be the highest soccer IQ guy, but he was smart enough to know where to be for those guys and I think that's what you see with Pogu he's able to be in the right position at the right time and he takes advantage of it and bottom line is if you have players like that who can take advantage of the good positions that they put themselves in for the good players to find them uh, you find really good young talent like that and so uh, Pogu was a real high point for me obviously uh, Fabian uh, Castillo for FC Dallas um, 
you know, being named, I think, the number one player out of the 24 under 24 for MLS, uh, really playing well for FC Dallas is another sort of high point for me. And then my L.A. Galaxy young talent was Sebastian Legette, uh, a midseason addition for the L.A. Galaxy, uh, a guy who had struggled in the program over at West Ham and comes over and lights the uh, the league on fire for a couple months there. He slumped towards the end of the season, probably another reason the L.A. Galaxy didn't do to- too well, but he had never played that much soccer before. You can sort of understand why he was completely out of gas at the end of the season. And so I think going forward, he'll be a little smarter with that. And Sebastian Legette is one of those guys who I think if you want to see next level and what he can do, uh, you know, looking at the beginning of next year and what what he's able to do, could see him land on maybe a U.S. men's national team roster as well. So some exciting stuff sort of from Sebastian Legette, something to keep an eye on. I can agree more, man. I actually wrote a piece for World Football Index not too long ago on Sebastian Legette, and I agree completely. As he went, it seemed uh, the LA Galaxy went, and the same with Poku, and hopefully next season Poku sheds this super sub label and, and cements himself in the first 11 for New York City. I think all of those were great shouts. Andy, give me a little bit of your thoughts on this, man. Yeah, you know, you, you've got to start with, with, with Legette, and, and I think that he walked into the perfect situation in, in L.A. Uh, outside of maybe Oscar Pereja, I'm not sure of another coach in the league that, you know, you, you put Legette into the team, and he has that kind of an impact. You know, a guy that has the experience, that has the tenure uh, of Bruce Arena, and, and the guy that tweaks his team so well during the season. It's not... You know, this is how we're going to play all season and, and, you know, whatever happens on the field, we're going to stick with it. You know, being able to on the fly alter his team a lot and, and really, uh, you know, fit a player in, tweak uh, the system the way that he needs to, to to get the best out of individuals. So that was a perfect uh, situation for him to walk into. And like Josh said, you know, U.S. national team is written all over that guy going forward. Hopefully he'll be back in MLS next year. Hopefully he'll be back around uh, for, for a while longer as well. I think the number one guy, though, that I, I look around MLS and I see someone making a massive impact at an incredibly young age, uh, it's Kakuta Mane uh, up at the Vancouver Whitecaps, an incredibly exciting player, uh, has the kind of pace that, that just puts the absolute fear into every single defender in the league. That's the last guy, maybe, in, maybe Fabian Castillo accepted, that you want running at you in space, on the counter attack, if he, if he's if he's running at you and you're one on one, you might as well just lay down on the ground and let him go by you. It is absolutely over. And this was the year I think that he finally turned a lot of that potential uh, into some final product on the field. You saw him take over games, uh, not just in one moment, but for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. Whereas in the past, you would see these little flashes of oh, this guy's going to be really good. He just has to develop. He has to figure out how to be more aggressive, when to be aggressive, pick and choose his spots. And I think the light the light switch kind of flipped on for him a little bit in 2015. So, you know, 2016 is a big year for him. He's nearing his U.S. citizenship as well, so that'll make him eventually eligible for the U.S. national team, another young guy that MLS is, is producing for the national team. Um, and one other guy that, that's, that was hugely impressive and, and might not be around in MLS in 2016, Matt Miazga for the New York Red Bulls. This guy, you know, 20 years old, uh, he anchors the U-20 team at the World Cup, the team that gets, you know, out of the group stage and loses to the eventual champion Serbia. Um, and, and his play for the New York Red Bulls, uh, he matured so, so much in 2015. And now he's a guy that, that the Red Bulls, if they can keep him around, are going to look to build a defense around. And you don't hear that a lot about a guy who's only going to turn 21 
next year. That's that's a very, very rare situation. The poise that that young guy has, uh, the physical tools, the size, every box to be ticked has been ticked by Matt Miazga. And 2015 was a huge leap from where he was just a year before. You know, I, I think the, the first homegrown signing in Red Bull's history, they've got a very, very good one there. He won't be around in MLS forever, uh, but he is going to be a very, very good player. And we saw a lot of that this year. Yeah, and he's a player that's really picking up a lot of buzz. And like you said, there are already a lot of rumors going about whether he'll be in MLS or move abroad. And and, and with, you know, good just cause, I think. And let's touch on that and move forward and then touch on the other end of this spectrum. And instead of young players getting developed, let's talk about the proven player, the big name talent that, that, that came over, the Gerards, the Pirlos. And let's talk about who lived up to expectation and who disappointed and, and why they, they disappointed, whether it was because they weren't prepared for the physical demands of the league or was it the travel that caught them off guard or, or, or what do we think that, that caused them not to succeed? Josh, let me come to you first, man. What are your thoughts? You know, I think that uh, that you're going to continue to see this. I think that getting big name talent from from abroad and bringing them over to the United States is a ticket seller. And I can tell you that in L.A., uh, selling tickets is not as easy as probably it should be. Uh, you saw Steven Gerrard come over for the L.A. Galaxy. You saw Giovanni Dos Santos come over for the L.A. Galaxy. Th- both of those guys equal sold out uh, StubHub centers for the L.A. Galaxy. So it takes both of those, uh, especially in a town like L.A. You have to have stars and you have to have success in order to fill up the stadium. And uh, I think some clubs don't have that, which is which is nice to have. I think you have like Seattle. Um, without the success, you can probably still have a pretty successful time selling tickets there, although they are always right on the edge of you know, doing something big. So you, you can understand the excitement there. I think Sporting Kansas City is another place. Uh, Andy, not to jump into, you know, your realm too much there, but I think Sporting Kansas City as well is a place that uh, gets a ton of really great support. And maybe you don't need the 100% star power that LA needs in order to fill up the stadium. So I think you're going to continue seeing this. For me, uh, you know, obviously you look at Gerard and Dos Santos as being uh, not great. I think Gerard is a bigger disappointment than Dos Santos. Dos Santos injured more than anything in the second half so you look at that uh outside of la and what was done uh giovinko was absolutely amazing a great signing for toronto um absolutely checked every box reminds me of robbie Keane, only younger which is amazing uh that is the type of designated player uh major league soccer needs to check off but not necessarily this superstar so i can't even think that sometimes you you could even put them in the same sentence as maybe a drogba or other people drogba a great signing totally successful uh, his physical attributes probably make him best suited for Major League Soccer and able to handle sort of the physical demands that this, all the travel and all of the uh, the physical style play put on Major League Soccer players, so I can understand that. You look at some of the older players, Gerard, Pirlo, uh, Frank Lampard, and why they didn't do well. It may be mindset. I, I don't think that's the case in Gerard's point of view, and that's the one I'm closest to. Um, it may be that their bodies are just too old to do it. This is not a retirement league, despite the fact that I think you're going to see people still view it as such. Um, You're going to have to come here and play. Andy said it before. If you don't come here to play every single day, uh, ready to give 100% in the physical side of things, then it's going to wear on you. And you saw that in New York City FC. I will also say that people are too quick to judge teams like New York City FC and you know the LA Galaxy for bringing in mid-season guys. Mid-season is extremely difficult 
to get used to. It took David Beckham some years to get used to Major League Soccer, despite uh, what some people will probably have revisionist history on. Um, it took Robbie Keane about six months to really settle in to Major League Soccer. So seeing that and understanding that, you, I think you have to give these guys a little bit longer of a leash. I think that Steven Gerrard will be better next year, even though he's a year older. I think he'll be more prepared for the rigors that that come for the LA Galaxy. I think people like Perlo, um, like Frank Lampard, having some rest in the offseason will do them a world of good. You're going to see more players. You're going to continue to see big names come over in Major League Soccer because it sells tickets. Um, it's really a... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Matter of figuring out what their mindset is and giving them time to adjust to Major League Soccer. There's definitely an adjustment. Uh, absolutely, man. Definitely need to adjust. It's it's more than just a new country for a lot of these players. It's a new, you know, sense of travel, a new culture, a new language. There's a lot of different things for a lot of these guys. Um, Andy, what are your thoughts, man? Do you agree? Do you share the sentiments that Josh just gave us there? Yeah, you know, he he. I think he really hit on the the big point there at the end, and that's bringing guys over during the middle of the season. Historically, it's never worked, and the way that Didier Drogba was able to come into the league this year and, and just score goal after goal. After goal, that that's a huge, huge anomaly. That's the exception to the rule with bringing over star players. Uh, any player, really. It's not just these star guys that that have the spotlight on them, and so they're they're critiqued a little bit more harshly. It's any player coming over to to the to the league during the middle of the season. Uh, that's so difficult to ask a guy, you know, to one just fit into uh, a, a team uh, that that's already halfway through its season. They've just finished playing a season of their own, and so they've not really had any time off. And so you're asking them basically to play 18 months straight uh, before they get uh, any sort of uh, significant rest. So it's really tough. I, I agree that I, I think you know the likes of Lampard, Pirlo, Gerard, they will be better in 2016. But at the end of the day, you know this is these are the kind of signings that I, I, I think MLS is almost a little bit too grown up for, and I understand that. Shirt sales and ticket sales, all of that stuff is incredibly important. And, and in some markets, uh, players like that are needed, you know, as, as Josh said, to fill the stadium week in and week out. But in terms of the quality on the field and, and the teams that, again, that were there at the end of the playoffs, 
uh, the teams that were not even in an MLS Cup, but the teams that were in the conference finals. You know, you look at Seattle uh, in, in the Western Conference. You know, they were of Dempsey, Obafemi Martins, the right side of, of, you know, 35 years old. You've got these guys that are a little bit past that, and they just can't quite keep up with everything. And, and Steven Gerrard's comments uh, after the season was over were really, really interesting to me, where he said, you know, he wasn't aware that he would be up against this kind of travel in the United States, that he'd be playing on turf fields. You know, I, I really thought those comments were interesting. I don't believe that the, for a second that the LA Galaxy didn't make him aware of everything that he was going to be dealing with. I don't believe for a second that he wouldn't have spoken to David Beckham about living in LA and, and what it's like and how it is playing in MLS. You know, to me, it, it almost reeked a little bit of an excuse from Gerard that, oh, okay, you know, I didn't expect the quality to be this good. I didn't expect to, you know, maybe have to play that you know, as, as hard as I had to every single game. And it, it caught him a little bit off guard. So I would expect him knowing the type of player, the type of person that he is. You know, this offseason, he will obviously let his body rest and recover, but it will come back in 2016 much more prepared and ready to, you know, not, not just show well, uh, but I, I think, you know, correct a lot of people who, you know, or maybe saying, look, this guy's done. He doesn't have anything left. You know he's going to show up and, and want to prove them wrong. Absolutely, man. Josh, you want to touch on what Andy just said there about Gerard's comments? Yeah, actually, you know, Andy's 100% right on, and I, I agree with those comments. Uh, Gerard came out, said it wasn't aware of travel, all that stuff. The really interesting thing is that there's a Robbie Keane interview of, from, I think, a year before where he says that anybody who is thinking about coming over to Major League Soccer already knows that the travel is ridiculous. That's well known um, in other leagues that the travel's tough and that playing on the fields isn't the, isn't the best. Um, you know, you're going to play on some turf fields and that, you know, maybe the hotel accommodations aren't the best either. And it's so it's sort of a, a, a difficult transition. Robbie Keane came out and said that about a year before, I think. Um, so I, I, I don't believe Steven Gerrard that he didn't know. And quite honestly, whenever Gerrard came over, um, he was one of the most prepared players I have ever seen come over to Major League Soccer. He said that he knew everybody's name. Apparently, whenever he walked in, he knew everybody's name on the team. He knew what positions they played. Uh, he sort of understood the style of the team before he had watched tape. He had done his homework. He knew. It strikes me as odd that he would do all that stuff and not realize all the travel that was involved, or, or maybe it just looked a lot smaller on a map. Uh, he's much too smart for all that. So, no, Andy's 100% right. It, it reeks of an excuse, and it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to the criticism because there are a lot of LA Galaxy fans and, and maybe even me included sometimes uh, that would understand if uh, if he wanted to go somewhere else, I think that they would let him go immediately. I don't think there would be too much arguing right now. Wow, and that, that I mean, and that's indicative of of you know his the season he had and and the lack of of executing what people thought and living up to expectation, I guess, and and. You know, and that's crazy because Steven Gerrard is a player that, you know, when you think about it, he's world-class in your mind and this and that to come over and, and to struggle the way he has and to see Lampard struggle as well is really interesting. And I think it's opening a lot of eyes. And like you guys said, it's no longer a retirement league. And, and year on year, I think that's going to become more of a thing and, and people are more realizing that. And it can only get better. And if younger players of, of top quality like Jovinko, that type of player comes over and wants to be here, then it's only going to, you know, benefit the league in the long term. But let's move on, guys, because we're we're running short on time, and, and we got a couple more topics I want to touch on. I, I want to talk about the MLS Cup final, and, and and 
the two teams that played and then what your guys' thoughts were on that and how happy or, or disappointed you are with what you saw and, and how happy you are for the city of Portland. I think it's a long time coming for them and they really deserve it. Andy, what are your thoughts, man? You know, I, I think on a very basic level, it's hard to look past it as anything but a massive upset. If you look at the way that the two teams kind of set up on paper and everything and, and the way that they matched up tactically, uh, everything before the game, and, and I, uh, you know, I wrote as such multiple different times, you know, it, it, it all favors Columbus. And, and then you get on the field and you have a goal scored 28 seconds into the game it obviously changes absolutely everything about that game. It changes both teams' games plans, uh, especially Portland. It allows them to do uh, a little bit more of what they do very, very well, and that's defend very organized um, and very disciplined. And so they were able to do that without the, the huge need of pressing forward for a goal. And then they get another one just six minutes later through uh, you know, another very, very fortunate moment of, of refereeing ball is obviously played out uh, over the sideline should have been a throw in the build up to the goal should have never happened and so they find themselves two zero up after seven minutes and it, it only you know ma- makes that that ability to defend uh, even more important and so they sit back a lot more than they otherwise would have had to and Columbus just aren't able to play uh, the the style of soccer that they that they are accustomed to playing and that's very wide open on the counterattack, attacking space, you know, forcing teams into mistakes with press press high up the field. And when you've got a team sitting with seven, eight, nine guys back behind the ball, it's almost impossible uh, to break a team down like that. And Columbus, that's one of the things that they struggled with all season long. And so, you know, as soon as that first goal went in, I thought, okay, all my predictions, they're completely wrong. I, I, I can't see Columbus really figuring this game out and finding this game. And it was completely evidenced in the fact that they had one shot on target all game long and that was Kai Kamara's you know his goal in in the, the 18th minute uh, he had just 31 touches in that game a guy that scored 22 goals during the regular season needs more touches on the ball so you know like you said Portland if there's a fan base in the league that shows up and supports their team better every single week uh, I don't know which one it is and so it was nice to see them uh, be rewarded with a championship and it was it was even more awesome to see the celebrations back in the city of Portland when the team arrived at the airport, the parade that they had, the rally at the stadium. Not that they needed any other motivation to get out and support that team, uh, but that team now in, in their city has even more momentum than they did before, and that's a little bit scary to think about. Yeah, man, and do you think uh, in the grand scheme of things, big picture, it's good for the league that a team like Portland won? Yeah, it has to be, you know. you. Uh, if you, if it's L.A. every single year like it had been three of the last four years and sporting Kansas City kind of sandwiched in there in the middle, um, you, you almost get a stigma of, uh, you know, like, like the Premier League where you know, there's really only two or three teams that have a chance to win it every year and everybody else is just playing, you know, for that fourth spot to get into Champions League or, you know, an MLS's uh, case, you know, maybe to win the U.S. Open Cup or just to get in the playoffs and maybe advance uh, to MLS Cup or something like that. So, yeah, I think it gives a lot of hope to uh, those smaller market teams, teams that don't spend quite as much money. Um, and and, it, and it's, it's really good for MLS from the perspective of that's how they get to uh, showcase their champion now for a year. For a year, they get to call the Portland Timbers playing at Providence Park in front of the Timbers Army, the reigning champions. You know, that, that's really good uh, PR for the league that they get to champion uh, a setting like that. Uh, every single week going forward. Yeah, man, it's hard to argue with that. Josh, what are your thoughts on the grand finale, man, and on Portland, uh, you know, lifting that crown there? 
Well, I, I love Portland as a, as an L.A. Galaxy supporter. You can understand uh, that maybe maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't like Portland or or something of that nature. And I think Portland's sort of that lovable team that everybody sort of wants to see win. Um, you know, maybe I have a feeling they, they almost feel like the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, before they had won that that World Series after the long drought. You, you sort of you were pulling for Boston to win. You wanted Boston, the, the Red Sox to win. And so I think a lot of people were pulling for Portland. The fact that I think one Sounders fan uh, designated it as possibly the worst scenario ever. And I think they tweeted out something to the fact of uh, to the effect of that. Great. We finally get rid of the L.A. Galaxy in the playoffs. And now Portland's going to win an MLS Cup. Um, I, I think that sort of tells you how how much fun the Pacific Northwest is for soccer uh, to understand that. I think from an overall perspective, and Andy hit everything you know pretty much right on the head as far as what the game was like. I think if you look at it from um, you know a PR perspective, that's probably a good thing that next year they can sort of trumpet uh, Portland being the champions. But the thing you have to look at is that the ratings for the game were horrible. Um, now, granted, uh, Columbus small market and Portland regardless of the fact that they have some great support in the stadium and in that city is a small market as well. And for whatever reason, I feel like it didn't resonate with, uh, you know, the greater soccer public in the United States. And so you look at the ratings and sort of what happened there, you know, I think that's disappointing. I think you look at that as the the marquee game, the thing you want to drive people to watch. And it was an it was an exciting, interesting game to watch. It wasn't the best game, but it was entertaining. And I think that's what you want out of your MLS Cup. But the fact is that, you know, just not a lot of people watch the game. And so, you know, it's one of the sort of caution flags that you have to look at in Major League Soccer. If you're going to sort of uh, put anything down on them, that by the time the playoffs are finally over, by the time there's two teams playing, that even the hardcore MLS fans don't want to watch that game. Um, I watched it. I, I was there, but it, it, it's a lot smaller group than it should be. And I think that the playoff format and dragging it through an international break and everything else that happens really hurts Major League Soccer. And I think that's one of the main things that they're going to have to work on if they're going to tweak anything to get those ratings numbers up. Now, granted, the year before, whenever you had New England and the L.A. Galaxy play two bigger markets, um, the ratings were much better. So you can understand that bigger markets will give you bigger ratings. I understand that. But still, there should be a drive, just like the Super Bowl, that everybody sort of needs to watch that game. And I don't feel that that's there yet for Major League Soccer. That's a really good point, man. And, and Andy, what are your thoughts on that, dude? Well, obviously, the people are going to tune in for the big markets and everything. Uh, look, you know, Landon Donovan can only retire once, right? He can't keep coming back year after year after year and getting the LA Galaxy to MLS Cup and then announcing his retirement. And this is going to be his last game. That was a huge, huge boost, I think, to the ratings in 2014. And obviously, going back two years before that, you had David Beckham's last game for the Galaxy playing in MLS. So, you know, th- those are boosts as well. Uh, look, I, I completely agree. You've got to be able to, you've got to find a way to make the, the showpiece event more desirable for people to tune in. Uh, a lot of that, I think, it's very, very simple. You play this this final on a Sunday, you go up against the NFL in this country, I don't care what sport you are, I don't care what stars you have in that sport, you're going to lose. You're going to lose to the NFL 100 times out of 100, they're going to win that. And it becomes about, you know, when can we play this game? When can we carve out a time of MLS's own? You know, how can we find... Uh, a hole in the sports calendar and fill that with MLS Cup. And and a lot of ideas have been thrown around, you know, maybe the day after Thanksgiving here in the United States on that Friday, there's not a lot going on, but that would mean having to cut down 
uh, on the length of the playoffs, maybe going to uh, just single games rather than playing two leg ties uh, home and away. I would be all for that. I think it would actually give meaning to the regular season that that if you play only one leg during the playoffs, um, you know, the way the way they do it now, there is no advantage for being the higher seeded team. In a lot of a lot of instances, uh, there's a disadvantage because if you if you don't get an away goal in that first leg as the higher seeded team, you're really behind the eight ball going into the second leg playing at home. And, and so, you know, how do you make 34 games which span? what, eight months, seven or eight months during the regular season? How do you make that count more? Maybe that's one way that you do it. And so you shorten up the playoffs just a little bit. And as somebody who you know follows the league for, for a, a living, I can attest this every year, MLS, the season, is it's an absolute grind to get from the very, very first part of March all the way through the first part of December with as many international breaks as they play through. There is no break. In MLS, and so you know, as Josh said, playing through the international breaks, uh, there's just so many things I think that MLS could do to improve the playoffs. Could make it more interesting. Could make it more appealing to uh, maybe not the general American sports fan, but definitely the American soccer fan who is getting up early to watch the Premier League on TV. That's watching the Champions League during midweek, but not tuning into MLS for for whatever reason, whatever stigma they believe the league to have that it's not good enough that it's a retirement league whatever uh the playoffs showed that the quality is there for sure now it's just about how are they going to package it uh that makes it a little bit more desirable for for a wider audience yeah and and with that comes a lot of conversation with with expansion and then you know how the it's going to turn out with the playoffs or whether it'll turn into a relegation promotion. I'm one to think that it's eventually going to have to. I mean, we're still talking about Minnesota United, uh, Atlanta. We're talking about LAFC, Miami. We're still talking about quite a few clubs that are going to be coming into MLS. And at what point is it too many clubs? Josh, let me come to you. What are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at MLS and their recent announcement that maybe 24 teams isn't enough for them. Maybe 28 teams is where they're at. And I can understand that growth. And I think there's some potential for some medium markets that maybe you didn't think about right off the top of your head. Again, you have to look at the successes that Major League Soccer has had and also some of the failures. You know, going back to Miami is going to be a real test of whether or not this league has grown enough because Miami was one of those places that that was seen as, as a failure. So you have to go back there and be careful about where you go. But you look at some of the like medium-sized markets, even, even some of the smaller markets that are able to support soccer, and I think that that's where you see the real growth potential. Obviously, you have the LAFC coming in. You have Atlanta coming in. Uh, you talked about Minnesota. There's some p- talks about St. Louis. Sacramento, for me, is a must for Major League Soccer. Seeing what they're able to do on the USL side and the amount of fans and the support that they have in Sacramento, you know, maybe not the best sports town, but seems like they're a soccer town. Um, you know, Sacramento is one of those things that has to happen. I'm not one that believes um, that there ever has to be pro rel. I'm not one of those guys who thinks that uh, that Americans uh, franchise owners are ever going to be willing to make that type of bet. Maybe that makes some people upset. Um, I just I'm just looking at it from a business side of things with the amount of money that they invest in these franchises now. Um, why would you be willing to to sort of lose that? So. 
it's just one of those things that is going to play out. Maybe that momentum is going to change. Maybe eventually when we get 28 teams or even 30 teams, um, you're going to say, okay, it's getting ridiculous now. We need a one and two. And maybe you split the league into an upper tier and a lower tier. And, you know, you sort of keep the teams in those two tiers and they and they rotate up and, and they get relegated. But even that, to me, as a looking at it from business-wise, is sort of a dangerous proposition. But I think definitely think there's places that MLS can expand and should expand. Um, and I think that they need to be careful on some other ones. I certainly still think that Miami is one of those careful places. I'm not sure that they're going to support, but you, you look at the other places like St. Louis, you know, a soccer hotbed for so many years. Uh, one of the original soccer hotbeds, you, you have to look, you have to think that a team could do well there. And again, Sacramento for me is just an absolute must getting, I don't know, 15, 16,000 people. It feels like whenever they're uh, playing their USL games. Uh, that's MLS level support there. So uh, I'm looking forward to the expansion. I think that MLS is going to have some um, have some growing pains still. So we got to sort of look at where exactly they want to expand. Atlanta is probably another question mark for me, but we'll see how that goes. But yeah, uh, it's going to happen. Pro rel, maybe not, and uh, expansion definitely. Right on, man. Andy, what are your thoughts on the expansion, the outlook on, on what Josh just said? And then maybe you could expand a little on the sm- the smaller markets, medium-sized markets, and his, his thoughts on that. I mean, and, and also, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, ProRail? That, that's the subject that nobody really wants to touch in American soccer, I guess, is why isn't there pr- promotion relegation? When will we have that? I, I tend to agree with Josh. It's It's either never going to happen or it's not going to happen for a long time long time with the structure that MLS currently has, the fact that it's a single entity, the fact that these owners of every one of these teams pays an, uh, an expansion fee uh, into the general pot of Major League Soccer. None of these guys are going to agree that having made that gigantic investment, you know, which is now over $100 million per team to come into the league, that they're going to take the chance of one bad season, they're gone, and then they're, you know, they're, they're, the, the attendance is cut in half the following season because nobody wants to go watch a second division team and on and on and on. You know, business wise, it doesn't make a ton of sense for, for these guys that have bought into this single entity structure. Now, obviously, that could change somewhere down the road. Uh, but a lot of people, I think, would need a lot of assurances and, and guarantees on, on certain things. As far as the expansion itself, um, when Don Garber said, I think it was about three or four years ago, uh, that we want to be at 24 teams by 2020, that was never, uh, I didn't think at least, it was never a, a cap on where the league wants to be. It was never a stopping point. I, th- I think it was a a target along the road of where they think they're going to end up. And so for them to come out this week and say, you know what, we, we've agreed that I think we want to go to 28 teams. It wasn't surprising at all. I think it was a little early uh, that they've made that announcement just in 2015, uh, still with five years to go. You know, a couple years out until uh, we're going to bring, assuming that they get everything done down there in Miami, bringing that team into the league. And so the next four spots, uh, as Josh said, Sacramento has to be uh, the first one in uh, out of those next four. I think they would have been the the fill-in for Miami had they not been able to figure something out. They they were on standby. And so the fact that they've continued to move along uh, with their plans to build their stadium there and uh, just outside downtown Sacramento, uh, th- that that has me very very excited that that a smaller city uh, a smaller market like that that doesn't have uh, you know the four major sports leagues in their city they've just got the Kings there in that city they are going to support an MLS team I, I feel like 
probably almost to the level uh, that we see in Portland, where they've really only got the trailblazers around. The fact that that team will, from day one, be the number two in that city is, is, is a huge, huge coup. Um, St. Louis, though, as Josh mentioned, that's the one for me that MLS has to figure out a way to make it happen. That they're the, It's the really the only major, major market in, in terms of the, the, the massive cities around the country that they don't have any presence in whatsoever. You've got to bring, I think, another team into the middle of the country, into the Midwest, and that would, that would create a very, very nice little triangle of rivalry between the city of Chicago and St. Louis and Kansas City. I'm not going to say it's, it would be like what we see up in the Pacific Northwest, but it's three cities that, that historically in other sports, whether it be the NFL or Major League Baseball, don't typically tend to love each other all that much. And those teams gravitate towards one another in terms of rivalries, in terms of heated contests. And I feel like that would carry over right into MLS. And so it would be a very, very nice addition to the league if they can figure something out in in St. Louis. Obviously, they need to find an ownership group that's interested and has the deep enough pockets to do so. But it's it's, it's in a dream world, in a perfect world, St. Louis is one of those four teams that comes into the league by, uh, what, 2024. So Sacramento, St. Louis, San Antonio seems like they're going to be another one in that fourth spot. I I think it could be up to anybody. It could be anyone from Phoenix to Nashville uh, to even San Diego has been talked about a lot. Uh, It really could end up being anywhere. I I think over the the course of the next couple of years, uh, some leaders will probably start to emerge. But MLS has to figure out another way to generate some more revenue. They've maxed out what they're able to do uh, through their television contract with a new $90 million a year deal that they signed just this year. And so with you know having hit that 24 teams now, you know, where's their next $100 million going to come from? I think that plays a large part in why they're, they're looking to continue to expand so quickly and not sitting pat on 24 teams for three, four, five years. You know, where's the next wave of, of cash in, in injection going to come into the league. And, you know, as they're pushing forward with, with investment in players, they announced $37 million worth of investment just this week. Now, that money has to come from somewhere, so uh, likely from expansion fees from more cities. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think th- those are all really valid points. And, and, and expansion, it, it benefits right now because it's the country, I think, as a nation, we're riding that wave, and then soccer is really becoming bigger and bigger year on year, and it can only get better. Uh, St. Louis, I agree, is, is one of those uh, places that needs to have soccer, and it needs it, it's it's just going to do well. Sacramento has, has an amazing fan base, and like you said, Andy, it's very very similar to, to Portland, and I think it can have similar success there. Um, but we're running out of time, guys, and, and we're going to wrap up here, and, and, and what, what I want to really get from you guys is here at WFI, we have a top 100 list. It's going to be published here at the end of the year. And, and what it is, it's basically just uh, your guys' nomination of one player. It doesn't have to be world-class player. It can be just a player you admire from any league uh, professionally around the world and, and that you want to highlight. And then if you could give us a little explanation why and everything on that, that'd be great. Josh, I'm going to come to you first, buddy. Who do you have and who do you nominate for the top 100 here? All right, I'm going off the beaten path a little bit, only because um, having get, or getting to watch USL Pro, a, a third tier uh, professional soccer league here in the United States, um, getting to watch a lot of games. I've I've fallen in love with a lot of the younger players and seeing people uh, sort of come up and grow up. So my professional that I'm going to nominate is 21 year old Ariel Lassiter, and if the last name sort of sounds familiar to that, it's because he's the son of MLS legend 
Roy Lassiter, um, Ariel's just 21, like I said, uh, born in Costa Rica. He has played both for the U.S. U23 team and the Costa Rica U23 team. There's sort of a tug of war that could possibly happen here. He's been playing more with Costa Rica lately than he has with the United States. So for U.S. men's national team fan uh, and you don't like losing players, this is somebody to watch. But uh, really had a great year for the L.A. Galaxy to Los Dos uh, in USL Pro. Uh, really starting to develop as a professional. He has sort of that professional mindset. I've, I've asked him if he ever worries about, uh, you know, sort of living in the shadow of his dad. And he says, no way. Uh, you know, it's great to have somebody to be able to talk to, to understand. He's a striker, uh, just like his dad. So it's fun to sort of see that family legacy continuing and you couldn't meet a nicer guy. I think that the ceiling for him could be really high, um, especially understanding what it means to be a professional soccer player and being brought up that way. So Ariel Lassiter uh, playing for LA Galaxy 2 and USL Pro is my nomination. That's a great pick, dude, and it's good that you went outside the box. A lot of people don't really do that on the show, and that's a phenomenal pick. I mean, I'm impressed by that, Josh. You did you did your homework. Uh, every once in a while. <laughs> Andy, what are your thoughts, my man? Who's your nomination? Well, like, like Josh, I'll keep it with someone uh, here domestically. I'm going to go with Mauro Diaz from FC Dallas, my absolute favorite player in Major League Soccer to watch. The, the, the stereotypical number 10, the guy who was there, really only for playmaking purposes. And, and in the modern game, uh, that's not quite appreciated anymore. I don't think everything has to be two-way and, and, and bought into the team. And I, and I completely agree with that in terms of you know trying to be a successful team and trying to be a winning team. Uh, but watching Mauro Diaz on the field for FC Dallas every single week, uh, he, he's, he is honestly an absolute joy to watch. Uh, the vision that he has, ability to see the entire field, ability to pick out passes and the ability to hit passes that no one else would even imagine trying to hit balls over the top long through balls playing guys out wide uh, just everything that this guy does week in and week out he's fun to watch because you never know what's coming next and and like the game is becoming a little bit sanitized and 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 as we're able to watch everything uh, all around the world we feel like we know all these guys so so well but Mauro Diaz even for a lot of MLS fans a guy that maybe not everybody knows uh, quite yet and so if you get a chance next season 2016 watch an FC Dallas game just watch the little number 10 running around in midfield watch everything that he does for that team um, and and he will remind you of a lot of great playmakers from years gone by. That's a great shout, man, and hopefully the listeners can uh, get out some a notepad and take some notes next time they watch FC Dallas and learn a little something there. Uh, but Andy, as, as we say our farewells, man, where can the people find you on Twitter? What are you up to? You got any plugs for us, man? Yeah, at Andy Ed MLS on Twitter, and then check out you know any kind of MLS coverage if you're if you're looking for more information, uh, analysis, anything. NBCSports.com forward slash soccer. We do a uh, uh, we try and do as much MLS coverage over there as we can, looking to push forward with even more in 2016. So, you know, just like the league itself, uh, it's growing and, and so are we. That's awesome, man. Everybody give Andy a follow and make sure you guys check out his uh, his stuff. And he's, he's fantastic and he's great, great insight. And then hopefully we can have him on again. Andy, thank you very much for joining us, man. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Josh, my man. You got any plugs for us? Where can people find you on Twitter, your website? Let the people know, man. 
Yeah, I'm sure I can find something there. Uh, my my personal Twitter is at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N. Uh, I'll probably wax more about Taylor Swift there than than soccer. So if you're looking for the soccer site, it's at Galaxy Podcast. That is the site uh, that I uh, that I started. Uh, that's where you can find all of the podcasts and information at Galaxy Podcast and Corner of the Galaxy dot com. Uh, is an easy place to find all the articles and all the writers that I have writing for me, real actual reporters instead of me, uh, just waxing on. And, of course, all the podcasts there on Corner of the Galaxy as well. And uh, we do two shows a week during the season. We're sporadic in the off season. going to be doing some new shows starting here pretty soon, probably before Christmas is over. Uh, we'll have those shows up as well. And uh, always looking to see what the L.A. Galaxy have to offer. So if you want to know about the L.A. Galaxy, uh, I guess you can follow us over at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter. That's great, man. People, give Josh a follow. Make sure you guys check out Corner of the Galaxy. They do have some great stuff, and their podcast is phenomenal. I listen to it regularly, so I, let me tell you from firsthand experience. But uh, for my guests and for myself, uh, for everybody at World Football Index, thank you ever so much. Uh, I want to thank my guests for joining us and thank the listener especially for listening. Uh, keep your eye, uh, ears peeled. There's going to be more podcasts. We're, we're producing about three a week now. We have the World uh, Cup series is still going on, and uh, we have a transfer window update for Europe coming up soon. And, and uh, this weekend I'll be recording something very special here for the North American. We're going to be covering the under-23 Mexico and highlight some of their talent. So please keep your ears peeled for us and everything else. And subscribe on itunes and and uh and keep supporting uh keep supporting soccer your local soccer and and then global soccer because uh, it really does make a difference in our community thanks guys and goodbye catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.